And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stand the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stand the Fan bats around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stand the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Stan, take it away. And a very good morning to each and every one of you on this first day of February 2020. The bat around is on the air for the next couple hours. And you'll notice that up on the screen, if you're on Facebook Live, is just me and uh, one man, Paul Valley. Craig Heist not in today. He's hosting the Nat Show over on Masson. Uh, and uh, he loves doing that show, and it pays better than this show. So, very simple ball game. How were things at uh, Baco last night, Paul? Were they hopping? Things were hopping, man. I was a little bit under the weather, though. It was pretty, pretty awful for myself. But I made good you money. Okay today? Yeah, no, I, I took some Mucinex, and I'm, I'm in a good spot today. Doing, right. doing much better. Thanks Mucinex for asking. Mucinex will do that. Mucinex yeah. will do that. All right. I'm anxious to get out and try Baco sometime. Absolutely, we love to have you. Like I'm there five days a week, except Wednesday and Sunday. So come on down; I'll take good care of you. All right, I think you will. I think you will. Here's what we've got on today's show: uh, No Craig Heist, as we mentioned. We're going to be joined by an old friend who I've made over probably the last three or four years. I've gotten to know Doug Fernandez, who writes for the Herald Tribune in Sarasota. We'll get you set up a little bit for spring training, which starts in about nine or ten days. Uh, Orioles spring training in Sarasota, Florida. Nothing could be finer uh, than to be in Carolina. Uh, At 1045, a longtime Pittsburgh writer. He's now quote-unquote freelance, which means that uh, no newspaper can afford him. Uh, John Parada is going to join us. I saw a piece that he did for Trib Live out of Pittsburgh. Uh, That's the Pittsburgh Tribune's um, website. Um, And he wrote a piece about, let's see, about 10 days ago. And it's really quite fascinating. Uh, While the Orioles, uh, over the last couple of years, have moved away from direct induction of someone into the Orioles Hall of Fame because of the lack of some obvious candidates, Um, the Pittsburgh Pirates have never had a team Hall of Fame, and they are starting one this year. So we'll talk to uh, John about uh, what was behind that absence of a Pittsburgh Pirate Hall of Fame. This is a storied franchise um, some incredibly great players have played for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and not the least of which Willie Stargell, Roberto Clemente, um, John Candelaria, um, Steve Blass, Bill Mazeroski, Hannes Wagner. Uh, there's no shortage of Pittsburgh Pirates who belong in a team Hall of Fame, uh, Paul Wehner, also. So we'll talk about that. We know one player, Steve Blass, who's going in this year. Also, I would suggest that Bob Prince, nicknamed the Gunner, a longtime voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, different voice, but much like a Chuck Thompson here in Baltimore, was probably the Pittsburgh Pirates' voice for 25 years plus. Uh, he, I, I'm assuming he'll go on. 11.05, Bill Latson from MLB.com will join us. We'll talk about the hiring of Dusty Baker. We'll talk about the hiring of um, 
the Mets manager, Luis Rojas, and uh, who are the latest candidates for the last remaining managerial job. Never seen anything quite like this with uh, three managers losing their job in mid-January with the outcome of the investigation into the Houston Astros. Uh, Of course, the three were A.J. Hinch, field manager of the Astros, um, Alex Cora, former bench coach for A.J. Hinch and purported ringleader of the um, uh, sign-stealing scandal, uh, and he resigned in front of uh, penalties, uh, which are expected to be pretty harsh on the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. And then, um, last but not least, Carlos Beltran, who is the only player, uh, recent vintage player, that was tainted by the scandal. He played for the 2017 Houston Astros, but was known to be one of the ringleaders in coming up with this scheme of how to steal pitches. Carlos Beltran, known throughout his career as a really smart baseball player, uh, somebody who knew how to steal signs legitimately rather than through the use of technology. But the big difference here is this use of technology. Uh, at 11.20, Baltimore Sun sports writer, Oriole writer, John Mioli makes his first trip on the bat around, and we appreciate that. And then Andy Dolich will uh, finish us up at about 11.35, 11.38, We'll talk to him about the recent story. Now, where is it? Here's this recent story in the, uh, which paper is this? Oh, I'm not going to be able to tell which paper it is. It's the, uh, it's the, hold on, San Francisco Chronicle. It's this story right here. Got it up on screen? Little lower. Little lower. How about right there? Over there on the right here? Yeah, you got it. You got it. It's Oakland not banking on A's gondola for ballpark. They're getting close, probably six months away from possibly putting a shovel into the Howard Terminal Stadium in Oakland at the Port of Oakland. Uh, and this article is about the transportation, how people will get to the games. And Andy and I have joked about this for a long time. Uh, the big highway out there is highway, I forget if it's number 85. I'm not, of course, I'm not scanning this very well here this morning. But anyway, the big highway there that runs th- through uh, the city of Oakland, there's actual talk about people getting on a gondola this is, you know, an electronic gondola like that would be at a ski slope that would take you up, up the mountain to get ready to go down and ski. There's talk about people parking on one side of the highway to, uh, to uh, keep from a total, you know, um, a log jam of traffic down by the stadium. People would park up here and take a gondola, this is like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock over rush hour, over the highway uh, into the ballpark. Um, Maybe one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. Uh, Can you imagine what it would be like if people got stuck on that gondola at any time of day, 
But rush hour, like 5, 6 o'clock in Oakland, San Francisco, expecting people to go up and, and get the gondola working properly or to retrieve the people. I mean, it's uh, mind-boggling. Well, anything like that, it, it'll get stuck at some point, especially around 5, 6 o'clock, around rush hour. It's, yeah. It just sounds like a log jam waiting to happen. Yeah. Is it the MacArthur Freeway that you're thinking of, I-580? I think it's – I'm not sure. I'm not sure, and I'm horrible at scanning this. I had it last night. Uh, city, first draft of transportation. Maybe you can look at it while I talk on the air Absolutely. what the highway is. I thought it was 580 or 5. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, um, Andy Dolich, longtime executive in the field of sports, he is one of the rare people that has worked literally in all four big sports, uh, big-time major sports. He worked for the Oakland A's for about 10 or 12 years. He worked for the Washington Capitals for about six or seven years. He worked for the um, Memphis Grizzlies for about five or six years and did the same with the San Francisco 49ers for about five years. And it's interesting. There are very few people that uh, have, have pulled that trick off and worked in every sport. Anyway, we will um, get underway. I'm without Craig Heist. I overslept getting here uh, or waking up this morning by about, you know, 30 minutes. And I rushed out the door without my computer. So I keep thinking this book is my computer, but it's not. Um, we ask you, as we do each and every week, to please like and share the program. Uh, if you're tuning in on Facebook Live, please like and share the program and feel free to comment and maybe even say to your friends, hey, like and share this show. It's a good show. Um, we, unlike regular radio stations, we don't have the ability to be picked up easily on the dial, so we depend upon the uh, kindness of strangers out there and friends uh, who will push the uh, message um, Orioles this week uh, picked up Wade LeBlanc, uh, kind of a veteran 35-year-old left-hander. He had a very, very, and I can't, I can't help but say very, three varies, a very fine 2018 season when he got thrust into the Mariners rotation. That was probably the first year that it really became apparent that Felix Hernandez was, uh, you know, a problem. His health was a problem. There were a ton of innings available, and Wade LeBlanc picked up probably about 150 innings. That would be a blessing from God if somehow he made the Orioles and could pitch to his 2018 level. Uh, last year, not such a good year. Uh, it all kind of fell apart for him, ERA over five, well over five. But he is a veteran pitcher. Uh, he joins Doug Brokow. I don't know if the two of them have uh, uh, combined efforts at any time in his career, but at least it's a it's a try at something. About a week or ten days ago, they also picked up a 34-year-old. LeBlanc is 35. I think um, uh, Cesar Valdez is 34, I believe. Um, he's had a couple cups of coffee in the major leagues, has Cesar Valdez, but most notably, in recent vintage, he had a big season in the Mexican League. And I'll be honest with you, I was not clear whether that was his past summer 
or going on right now. I seem to think now that I'm reading about it, it was in the summer, but uh, really some brilliant numbers, and you wonder if if he's found some pitch, maybe a spitball, uh, no, or maybe he's found some new uh, release or able to get more sp- a higher spin rate. You wonder what it is, but he's pitched uh, rather brilliantly in Mexico. Uh, but what I can't wait for is we're excited about finding out about him. We'll probably hear in 10 days that he hasn't been able to get his visa. Uh, and this is not a shot at the Trump administration. This is just a shot that a lot of players from Mexico and Latin America and the Dominican always seem to probably wait um, until the last minute to try and get their visas. Uh, Would not shock me if Cesar Valdez, who's the one guy who probably needs to get in early and impress Doug Brocal and Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias, that he can do something meaningful in his staff. Wouldn't shock me if he's 10 or 15 days late getting in. Oh uh, yeah, you were mentioning his numbers. It was this past summer he went nineteen and three with right. a two oh one ERA and hundred and eighty eight innings. He is thirty four. That's, that's Lamar Jackson's record in the regular season. Nineteen <laughs> and go, three little, in his career. Yeah. Little tie in and he uh he shares a birthday with Chris Davis, March seventeenth, oh. St. Patrick's Day. So that he'll be thirty five on March seventeenth. I think he might be a year older okay. than Davis. All right. So that's kinda interesting. Now, what's interesting about those is as recently as Wednesday evening, and I was live at the event, the uh, Babe Ruth Museum, who, by the way, Babe Ruth uh, Museum next Saturday, uh, actually Friday is the 7th, correct? That's, Today, that's, tomorrow's that's right. is a, Friday is the 7th. They will have Babe's Bash down at um, Game Sports Bar. Uh, that will be taking place next week, uh, and uh, we hope to make an appearance down there. All right. Um, what was I going to say? So, I was at this event that the Babe Ruth Museum did in conjunction with the Orioles. The event was at the warehouse, on the sixth floor of the warehouse. It was some hors d'oeuvres, a little bit of food, and uh, then you sat down and got to listen to Rock Kabatko interview Orioles uh, general manager, uh, Mike Elias, and then Mike uh, spent 15 minutes or so answering questions from the audience, 15 or 20 minutes. The whole thing was a little over an hour probably, but um, a nice event. Um, and during that event, there was not a name mentioned, but there was a, a reference um, that they would like to bring in a veteran pitcher. Uh, I put two and two together before Wednesday night, and I've seen from afar – you may remember I mentioned this as recently, I mean, as long ago as two months ago, that I thought that Andrew Kashner, who I figured after his uh, poor performance with the Boston Red Sox, the Red Sox weren't going to rush to re-sign him and pay him 7 or $8 million a year. Uh, and in fact, that no teams were going to rush to pay him 7 or $8 million a year. Remember, his two-year contract with the Orioles paid him roughly $16 million, I believe, for the two seasons. I figured he might come in at the 2 to $3 million range. And lo and behold, we are 10 days away from spring training. And again, manager Mike Elias wouldn't mention his name. Um, Rockabotko, though, has written his name in print uh, on the website, the MassInSports.com website. So it's interesting that he's out there 
two of his best seasons in all of his career, about 11-year career, have been under the tutelage of Doug Brocal. Again, we're not talking about a guy who's going to move the earth beneath the Orioles' feet and turn them into contender. But I did the math last night on Masson, um, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, the Orioles, if, if you use five innings as the rough number that you're hoping to get out of the average of 162 starts, that comes to 810 innings. So if you're kind and say, well, John Means will be roughly what he was last year or better or even a little worse, but 170 innings seems like about where John Means could be in, in the ballpark. Uh, Alex Cobb who did surprisingly in his first season with the Orioles, I really hadn't remembered him pitching 152 innings, but he got in 152 innings last year. I think it was more like 12. Uh, You would think there'd be a time he would need to build back up, but let's be optimistic that he's been working hard and is in almost game shape now as they hit spring training. Uh, Let's throw him in for 120 innings, all right? That gives you 310 innings, which is roughly 500 innings shy. You've got Asher Wojciechowski. You've got Brandon Bailey, Michael Rucker, um, Cesar Valdez, Wade LeBlanc, David Hess, Keegan Aiken, and maybe one or two others to, to, to divide into five, 500 innings. That's a lot of innings for those guys to cover. If you throw in Andrew Kashner at 160 innings, that takes that down to like 350. Then you might be able to use this sheer mass of numbers to accumulate the innings you are going to need out of starting pitching. But I think it's vital that the Orioles add a look. Wojciechowski, I would say there's a chance if he's healthy, he'll throw 140 innings this year, 130, 140 innings. But again, you can't count on that going into the year. Means could get hurt. Cobb could get hurt. Any of those. David Hess could get hurt. Andrew Kashner's been a dependable, durable guy in so far as eating up innings. What that's going to do is allow you not to beat up your bullpen. It's nice to say, hey, but the bullpen's going to have Givens, Hunter Harvey, Dylan Tate, uh, Miguel Castro, Sean Armstrong, uh, uh, Paul Fry, whoever, whomever else out there. But what happens on bad teams, what happens on bad teams is they invariably overuse their bullpen because their starting pitching is so bad. And that's where we stand right now with the Baltimore Orioles. And it would be a, uh, a mitzvah, as we say in the Jewish religion, um, to bring in one uh, Andrew Kashner before they uh, hit Sarasota. Uh, we remind you that the bat around is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps help, helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Stand the fan here from the live casino hotel studios. And we'll also remind you that Real Barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskey and microbrews, that's what you get when you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden. You get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area. All made fresh and smoked every day. Open for lunch and open late. 
Blue Pit is also great for parties and events. Go to bluepitbbq.com for menus and directions. We're joined by our first guest right now, who I'm sure is licking his lips right now at the Blue Pit Barbecue uh, read, and that is Doug Fernandez of the Herald Tribune down in Sarasota. How are you, my friend? Stan, I was, I was listening to you. I was licking my chops when you said casino. And then you added barbecue and whiskey. That's my. That's on my three food groups thing. If you can put gambling on it, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I want to be where you're at. All right. All right. Well, you can be. You you wouldn't want to trade with me. Trust me, Doug. Uh, well, it's raining t- down here in Sarasota, but a rainy day in Sarasota is still a day in Florida, so it's still a nice day. That's right. It's a day. It's a little bit, little piece of heaven down there in Sarasota. Let me ask you a question. I've lost track. Is this? Like the ninth year the Orioles will be in Sarasota? Actually, I think this might be the tenth. Okay. Uh, their first year, they were down here. Uh, Ed Smith Stadium wasn't even renovated yet. I mean, you know, they knew they were going to get it renovated, but they played basically in the old Ed Smith Stadium before it looks its current shape, which is beautiful. I think yep. it's maybe still the best ballpark in uh, the Grapefruit League. It's, it's certainly a beautiful ballpark. Can, can you quantify for me? I know there's articles written every so often down there or at a business journal up here. What the Orioles have meant to the economy of Sarasota, is it a, well, net, is it a net big plus? Oh, it's a big plus. Now, any of these numbers that you hear from cities about economic impact, yep. you know, there's a lot of ways to churn out those numbers. I mean, I know some teams, you know, a buck is turned over four times, you know, that somebody spends it and then it's spent again and spent again. So you can somehow jack up those numbers that look pretty good on the spreadsheet. But, yeah, no. I mean, I've been down here. This is my 33rd year in Sarasota. This will be my 33rd spring training. So uh, I know the impact that teams have on this area. And, you know, I've seen it since the Orioles have been here. You know, the first couple of years, people from out of the area really didn't know anything about Sarasota from the Mid-Atlantic region. That's changed. I mean, we advertise up there. Uh, our uh, our uh, visitors and tourist board, you know, you can see Sarasota on the TV screen up there. So, no, they've meant a lot to the economy down here. And we're happy uh, to have them down here, of course. So you go back 33 years in the market down there. Was that the right. Reds 33 years ago, or was that even the no. White Sox? Oh, no, Stan, that was the White Sox. So I yep. pulled into here in in January of, uh, of 87. I, I started to work at another paper that's no longer here. Right. It's now defunct. In my first spring training, I covered Jim Fregosi managing the White Sox wow. at Old... Payne Park. This was before Ed Smith was even built. And as a 25-year-old reporter dealing with nice, gruff, but intimidating Jim Fregosi, yep. that was kind of fun. I had a funny story with Jim Fregosi when he was scouting after his managerial days. My the late Jim Fregosi. Yeah, the late Jim Fregosi. Right. And I'm going to tell you a story about my late mother who had <laughs> who had had seen, seen Yogi Berra on... On with um, oh god, what's his name? Who used to host Meet the Press? Um, who passed? Lawrence away. Bit, no, uh, uh, who passed? Lawrence Bivak, or are you talking about uh, the the one after him, uh, or two after him? He just passed away about eight years ago. Uh, oh no, his son was in it for a while. Right, that's uh, oh. he was a huge Bills fan. Yeah. Uh-huh. I right. Cannot think of his name anyway. It's seen Yogi Berra on. It was when Jim the, Russett. Tim Russell. Tim Russell. Right. It was when the I think the All Star game was going to be in New York, 
and there was a trivia question that that Yogi Berra at that time was the answer to was who had hit the last who was the last Yankee to hit a home run in the All-Star game and that All-Star game Derek Jeter hit one but my mom screwed up the question and asked Jim Fergusi who was the last she says I heard a great trivia question who was the last this is about 19 this is about 2001 so the Yankees had just been in four World Series right so she says, she turns to him and says, I've got a great trivia question. I heard it on Tim Russert a while back. <laughs> Who was the last Yankee to hit a home run in the World Series? Mm-hmm. And Fergozzi goes, uh, you know, uh, Tino Martinez or something. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Derek Jeter, no. She, he goes down about 20 <laughs> Yankees, and I'm sitting there. And she, he goes, um, she says, Yogi, Yogi Berra. And Jim Fergozzi goes, Yogi, and by the way, he was working and he was getting angrier because he was scouting. He was getting angrier with each each name he threw out. He knew it hit a home right. run. And she said, oh, did I say uh, All-Star Game? I meant World Series. And he, he shut off the, con- the conversation with her. Uh, it was one of my more embarrassing moments. Um, Jim Jim Fregosi was a gruff guy, but once you got to know yeah. him, he was like a teddy bear. Yes, you know? he was, and a, and a yes. really solid baseball guy. There was no question about it. Of course, wasn't he traded for Nolan Ryan? He was the one traded from the Angels to the Mets uh, for oh, Nolan Ryan. Wow. Not a great trade by the. Uh, wow, yeah, but who who would have thunk Nolan Ryan back then? It was still wild when it you know that, evolved into what he did. That's what know? that's what they thought. Um, yeah. The, the Orioles this year, they come down. It's Brandon Hyde's second year. You covered uh, the Orioles in spring training for a number of years right. from Buck Showalter. Uh, your thoughts on the difference during a rebuild, this type of manager versus Buck Showalter? Well, I think Buck works well with veteran players, and I think veteran players respect Buck, not that the young players don't. But I think when you're going into a, a rebuild, like the, the Orioles have obviously been for one or two years here, I think you need a guy who, a younger guy who works well, communicates well, speaks lingo of the younger guys. And, you know, Hyde was a you know developmental guy who's a bench coach. He's a younger guy. Very enthusiastic. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say what they told Brandon to, uh, to, to, uh, to say or do, yep. but I'm sure it was to accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Accentuate, accentuate the, positive. the positive. Because there was going to be more negative than positive, I'm sure, in uh, last year. And he uh, did. With, with and the, if you look at what well, I mean, go ahead. Uh, you know, if if you look at the performance, I think the Orioles would have been expected to lose a hundred games again, and they did. Yep. But I think when a team is in a rebuild, I think you have to look at individual performances, and there were several. Mancini had been a nice year. I mean, Renato Nunez. If you were going to predict thirty-one and ninety yep. for him before the training camp, you would have taken that. Santana had twenty home runs, and this guy John Means, one of their draft picks, finally, you know, twelve and eleven, not a bad year. Uh, so you look at those performances and the fact that the Orioles farm system is now ranked one of the better ones in major leagues. I mean, they got some young guys, Mount Castle and this catcher they just drafted. I was just reading some stats on him. Rutschman. Pretty impressive. Oh yeah. 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 This He's... guy could be in the majors by next year and be there for 10 years. Yeah. So, there's no question about you know, it. And they've got to look better than it did two years ago. For and and they finally got a couple pitchers that seem to be the kind of pitchers that you need at the top of the rotation while they're two, three years away. D.L. Hall and Grayson right. Rodriguez are looking pretty good. A uh, question for you. I know you don't cover 
the Tampa Bay Rays closely. Right. You probably go to a, few, a couple games sure. a year. But you were there uh, when Alex Cobb was a pretty good pitcher. Uh, is this a guy who, if healthy, still can help the Baltimore Orioles or become, if healthy, a useful trade chip at midseason if he really proves out to be healthy? Well, that's a good question, Stan. I mean, listen, he he got he was hurt with the Rays. He performed, though. Obviously, he wasn't on the DL as much for them as he has yeah. been for the Rays. I know he's coming off that hip surgery. Uh, you know, he's a great guy. And, yes, when he is healthy and he's got that change-up working, so there's that separation and speed of his pitches, yeah. And, listen, he's pitched in the AL East. That was proven before he came to Baltimore. He just has to be healthy. You know, when you look at this team right now and you look at that top of the rotation, it, it's, it's pretty thin. You know, you got rid of cash in the last year. Yep. I mean, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, I mean, a guy like Means, uh, a great, uh, great uh, you know, look last year. But you got Cobb coming back. you got Bundy, who's coming off two back-to-back uh, bad Bundy's years. Been, Bundy's been traded. He's with the Angels. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yep. I thought I did my – when was he traded? He was Jeez. traded right before the winter meetings. We got four. Oh, wait a minute. We got four young pitchers. I'm sure you just forgot it. That's all. Yep. No, I I did my research, obviously, oh, and uh, right. I didn't know that he was straight. So basically, listen, perfect example, it dovetails back to what I said, Stan. Yeah, they're building for the future. I think Oriole fans have better be prepared for two or three more years of just down performances the, until this team and organization really starts to you know pay benefits from all the uh, draft picks they've had. The recent talk has been that the Orioles, who signed Jose Iglesias, a free agent shortstop, for about $2.5, 3000000 for the year, and an option for next year. Uh, they also say they have money for one more sort of starting pitcher veteran. There's talk that Cashner may come back to the Orioles this spring. Well, I'll tell you, uh, as a Red Sox fan, uh, he was awful with Red the Red Sox. Sox fan, yeah. when, he, when he was sent up there, uh, he did not perform, no. and he was ripped in the media. And like, who did this guy that they pick up at? And that was one of the reasons that I think led to Duquette's. You know, I mean, they pick up this guy, and they have to have ultimately put him in the bullpen where right. he performed better. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think he performs better. I don't know if the Boston market and the pressure. Yeah, I think he, I think he succumbed to the pressure. I think he's a perfect fit on a. He can be a. Bear. He can be a, a sort of a big time guy in a small pond that's not really a lot expected of. But hey, listen, one thing I forgot to even mention. Yeah. I'll tell you, you should Oriole fans should be very encouraged. I did a story on him in, in spring training, so naturally I followed his season. You know, Richie Martin, mm-hmm. 169 average in the first half, 284 in the second. I'll tell you, if this guy gets it at the plate, this guy can play in the field, you may have a very serviceable shortstop there or at least, you know, a trade piece if you've got somebody in the pipeline. In well, they may. They, I think they're going to go with Iglesias this year and maybe next year if he hits well and he's a good teammate. But uh, Martin, you know, the Doug, they've added a 26 man to every roster. Right. And Martin may compete for that job to be a utility guy. Me personally, I think he needs more seasoning. Remember, he, well, the, the Rule 5 is a double edged sword. Uh, it's good for the player that it keeps you from getting log jammed in one organization, but oftentimes you have to make that big jump from double A to the majors without any triple A. 
And there aren't a lot of players that make that jump successfully. Yeah, but Stan, you know, AAA is just a stopover sometimes. Double A, if you make it out of Double A, you've proven yourself. You know, I'm just looking at a guy like yep. uh, Richie. I mean, he's a great you know, kid. There's no I, question, just, he's a great kid. Yeah, right. Because I followed. No, I followed the box scores of you guys, and I'm like, they kept on throwing him out there. Oh, one for four, zero oh for four. The average was like 180. And suddenly you look at the end of the season, it's above 200, and then you look in the second half, and he definitely turned it around. Maybe he got it at the plate. We're, he went through the fire. He came out the other side. You don't know. We're talking with the Herald Tribune's Doug Fernandez, longtime sports writer in the Sarasota area. We're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studio. We'll tell you more hey, Stan, about what's them. your game of choice? What's your game of choice? You like craps? It, it, you it, like uh, I'm a black. I'm. I was a blackjack player in my younger years. Yeah. What do uh, you mean you're younger? So, so do you always stay on sixteen, or do you always hit on sixteen? It depends. It depends. It depends what I've seen in terms of the face card. I'm not a card counter, uh, but sometimes no, no. sometimes it depends what the other guys got. If if I've got sixteen well, and he's got uh, a face card showing, I'm I'm liable right, to hit. I'm liable to take a hit. You know. Well, that's what I was asking. I mean, he's got to show a face card. Obviously, if he's showing a three, you're going to stay. Right, but exactly. If he's showing a face card, do you always hit on 16? Yes. Are you consistently? Yes. In your, in your, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, I, that's look, all I, I want to add. I got, I got, I, I began, I'll tell you when I stopped playing seriously, trying to think that I could win at When you uh, lost your 401 Jack. No, when I <laughs> haven't lost that. I don't I haven't established <laughs> enough of one to, to retire, Doug. But I used to sit there and I'd go, God, these these Asians are so wacky with what they do. Oh. So oh. then, then it would be the wackies, uh, you know, the Asian wacky. I always sit next to one of them, blaming them. Then it was a uh, an older woman that was wacky, and I started thinking that everybody I'm sitting next to is screwing me up because they're well. not doing the same logic that I'm on. Uh, well, and when, I, I, when you start let's, talking let's, to yourself like that, it's a good time to stop playing blackjack. Well, Stan, I mean, if you play the game, then you know if the other people at the table are playing it correctly. If if, if you're right. sitting next to a person, right, and the, the, you know they got a, a twelve showing, and the dealer is representing a twenty, right. and they're deciding whether to hit or not. Yeah, that's when you walk away and go to another table. Yeah, okay? the, the problem I found seriously, Doug, that we're talking about this is I found that I was comfortable at one time being at a twenty-five dollar table. Okay, right, but. But I found that you got less of those people the bigger you went up. To, you know, if you played at a $50 table no. or $100. I don't want to play at that table. I can't thing. play at I those want, tables. I want, to, I want to play at the 5 or $25 tables, and that's where all the wackies are that don't know no, how to play the game. I don't want to even play at the 25 I don't want to have to bet $25. You want to bet $5. You want to be at the 5 or $10 table. Well, $10 table. But when they change that sign, you're sitting there, I say, I want to be grandfathered in. They're like, are you kidding me? Right, right. It's it's gone up. All right. (laughs) Hey, I wanted to ask you one more question about spring training, and that is we, we know that they have an economic, a positive economic impact. Yes. Do the people in Sarasota actually care about going to the games or is it 90 percent people that come down from that are Oriole fans no, no. from out of town 90 percent no not not even close no when you when you if you would uh walk around that crowd of seven thousand, right most of those people are from sarasota county i'm not saying sarasota county is a county of about 300 400 000 now right so those fans could be not only from sarasota bradenton venice northport lakewood ranch uh 
a good cross-section of them are Orioles fans, obviously, because as the team has been here more years, they more and more have started to come down. Uh, but it's still predominantly Sarasota County fans. Uh, but I was out having a hamburger yesterday. I, uh, a couple of days ago, I saw Mike Wright, who will be playing in Korea this yes, year, I believe. Yes, yes, Mike Wright has a home here in Sarasota, and I saw him there with his wife and kid uh, getting something to eat. So good for him that yep. he found a gig overseas. Yeah, I hope he I hope he is one of these guys that has two or three good years there and can make it back to the major leagues. Uh, well, I don't know, Stan. I think he's going there probably to uh, to make some money. Yep. I'm sure it's a good – I think Mike Wright, God bless him, I think he's shown that he's not quite Major League Baseball cal- caliber. He's like a 4A guy. I, I think it's proven that he's not a consistent – I would league pitcher, and that's why he's going overseas. I would agree. I would agree with yeah. you. I would agree with you. We're talking to Doug Fernandez. Just another minute with uh, him on the show. Mm. By the way, I got a suggestion on, for an article for you this year. Sure. Last year was the first year that the Orioles opened Boog's Barbecue down in in Sarasota. Did you? I did ate you make talk to Boog? Did you do a story on it last year? Yes. Okay. I did. I, I did. I, in fact, put it this way. Here's a little story, okay? Okay. And I know you got to go. I was waiting in line because everybody was wanting to talk to him. Right. So I waited my turn. I went up to him. I said, I'm a reporter for the Sarasota Herald. And I said, I know you went to school down in Key West, mm-hmm. originally from Lakeland, but you're a conk. And we <laughs> were talking a little bit back and forth. And I said, it was a pleasure to, to meet you, John. And he looked at me and he said, you know my real name. I said, of course I do. He said, most people just know me as Boo. That's and right. I think I became a friend for life. He's a, John Boo he, Powell. He, he's an right? incredible ambassador for Orioles baseball, and he sells a mean uh, a mean beef sandwich. And, and uh, the, the barbecue there is pretty good, and I'll yeah. tell you, I saw Boo on a TV camera several years ago out in right field. Right. Uh, you know, and he looked... Bad. He didn't look good. I, he looked kind of heavy, and yeah, he, he I lo- saw him at Ed Smith Stadium. This is years later. He looks fantastic. Yeah, he's lost some whatever he's, he's done. He lost some weight, but he's battled. You know, he had the prostate cancer about right. twelve years ago, fourteen years ago. Uh, but he's looking pretty good. Boog's no spring chicken anymore. He's probably seventy six, seventy seven right. years old now. Uh, right. I'll give you one other angle on that story. Go talk to the people that are waiting in line, why they would wait. You know, they come down to Florida and wait in a line that long to get Boog's Barbecue. It'll be an interesting story. Maybe. Hey, listen, I want to, listen, you you sent me an email saying Wanda. Like, I should know Wanda, like, first name Prince. Wanda is, Wanda, Wanda, we're doing doing a story on Wanda, and I don't know her last name. She is the, she's sort of the probably 77, 78-year-old blonde uh, uh, attendant in the press box. She's sort right. of a well, smiling yeah, woman. Uh, but I, I, I never eat upstairs in the press area, so if that's where she No, works, she's, she's I, in front of our press box door. She has nothing to do oh, with the food. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh. Now, should I tell my writer to call you back now? You got any stories on her? No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know her. Yeah, she's, I mean, a lovely, I, listen, she's a lovely listen, lady, writer, and she's kind of adopted listen, all listen, of the... Listen to me. Listen yeah. to me, Stan. Yes. Your boy wanted information. I just I texted him three days ago, Trevor Markham, who right. runs the Florida operation for the Rose and knows every employee. Right. I sent, I sent him his email. I haven't heard back from your boy. Okay. Tell, tell him to check his email. All right, I will. Yeah. Hey, thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining us. We'll probably get you on one time during spring training. All right, Doug. 
fan. It's fun. Well, I'm looking forward to having you guys down here. All right. See you soon. There he is, Doug Fernandez of the uh, Herald Tribune down in uh, South Florida. Uh, South Florida. It's uh, the the west coast of Florida, Sarasota. South Florida is Miami. Today's show is sponsored by Citron Restaurant and Bar. You'll love their fresh Atlantic seafood, sushi, and thick grass-fed steaks. Their Wagyu beef burgers to die for. That's CitronBaltimore.com. CitronBaltimore.com. Dot com. Now let's tell you about another fine sponsor on the show, and that is Glen Burnie Transmissions, located right in the heart of Glen Burnie for almost 60 years. If you suspect you're having a transmission problem, GBT can save you hundreds of dollars over taking it to the car dealers for a repair. Make an appointment for a free diagnostic and estimate. Call GBT at 855-728-1841. Their mission is simple to provide excellent service at a reasonable price. Go to their website at gbtonline.com to check out all the five-star reviews. Let my friend Mark Schwartzman and his GBT team take the troubles out of transmission troubles. Call them today at 855-728-1841. And that is our friends at Glen Burnie Transmissions. Time to tell you before we take our, our full break, and then bring come back for John Parado uh, to talk a little bit about Pittsburgh Pirates Hall of Fame and the lack thereof until this year. Let's tell you about Live Casino Hotel's brand-new venue, The Hall at Live. It's open. We'll host lots of world-class entertainment in 2020. But tomorrow, Super Bowl Sunday, big game Sunday, Live Casino Hotel hosts a big game live viewing party. For $29.99, watch the title game with all-you-can-eat stadium bites, pita chips and hummus, veggies, build-your-own nachos, Italian sub sandwiches, steamed hot dogs, and grilled brats. For $59.99, enjoy the game, the all-you-can-eat stadium buffet, bites, and an open bar. Get your tickets now at LiveCasinoHotel.com. Other great events coming to the hall at Live this year include Fight Night, February 28th, Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler, March 19th, Air Supply, April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th, Patti LaBelle, May 2nd, and Gabriel Iglesias, August 22nd. Get your tickets now by going to LiveCasinoHotel.com. We'll take a timeout, and then John Parada, freelance sports writer in Pittsburgh, will tell us about the first year of the Pittsburgh Pirates Hall of Fame. We'll be right back. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders Daily Specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all of the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. Royal Farms is known for being real fresh and real fast, but we're also real Baltimore. That's because Baltimore is our home base and our home. Like purple and black, flamingos and sunglasses, or crabs and Old Bay, our subs are real Baltimore, right down to the name. We make them fresh, delicious, and to your order, all day, every day, at a price that's easy to swallow. Royal Farms subs are another reason why Royal Farms is real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore. 
Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirts, which recognize how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Available in white and gray for just $25, the long sleeve version just $29.99. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostaZen.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square now offers their piping hot chicken noodle and chicken tortilla soup. Shredded chicken breast with navy and black beans in a white creamy soup base with a perfect blend of vegetables and spicy heat. Topped off with seasoned corn tortilla strips, obviously perfect for cold weather. Plus, it's a great compliment to the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And if you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering for not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A. 410-931-0031. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior. Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Our children's future starts at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Enroll today. Visit archbalt.org schools for more information or to find a school near you. We are back on the bat around. Stan the fan. No Craig Heist. Paul Valley is helping me on the show. Want to remind you that Real Barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskey and microbrews. That's what you get when you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden. You get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area. All made fresh and smoked every day. Open for lunch and open late. Blue Pit is also great for parties and events. Go to bluepitbbq.com for menus and directions. Joining us now is a freelance writer, longtime Pittsburgh uh, sports writer, John Parado. John, how are you, my friend? Doing good, Stan. How are you? I'm doing good. I read your story, and this one was particularly for Trib Live, uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Tribune's uh, website. This is back on January 20th, and it was, uh, I think, like 2 o'clock in the morning, I Facebook emailed you and got a response right back from you. So I know you're a, a night owl like me, uh, but I had never known that the Pittsburgh Pirates have not had a Hall of Fame. Do you have any idea how many teams 
in the 30 teams that are Major League Baseball do not have a Hall of Fame? Uh, not very many. Uh, I, I don't know the exact count now. Right. I, I did at one point when they announced it last year. I researched it. But it's it's less than 10. Main, primarily, it's, it's some of the newer teams like the Diamondbacks, the right. Rays, some of the expansion teams of the last two expansion rounds, the Rockies. But but for the most part, pretty much all the teams have a, a Hall of Fame. Even if they don't have a physical building right. part of their ballpark, they at least have a, a list of uh, players who are you know are listed somewhere in their ballpark. And yeah, it's quite surprising for a pirate franchise that's been around over 130 years that uh, they're finally getting uh, getting around to doing it. How do you think? So that's my next question. You can understand why the Diamondbacks or the Rockies might not have a Hall of Fame because it's hard to start one in the first 15 years or something like that. But how did the Pirates go over 120 years without starting a Hall of Fame? Well, that's that's a great question, and, and nobody seems to have an answer. <laughs> uh, you know, this uh, back in uh, 2001 when PNC Park opened, or actually you got to go back a couple of year, few years before that when they got the funding for the ballpark to go ahead and start construction on it in the late 90s, uh, that was going to be part of the uh, part of the deal. It was like one of those, well, we're going to kind of right or wrong. That what, uh-huh. you know, none of the other ownership groups ever started a Hall of Fame, and that was supposed to be part of the new ballpark. But alas, it didn't happen for <clears throat> excuse me a variety of reasons, and uh, it's just kind of been a dormant idea until last year when Steve Blass, a uh, longtime pitcher, longtime broadcaster, had spent sixty years in the organization, retired, uh, and the Pirates announced in the last weekend of the last season that he would be a charter member and they would have their first uh, class of Hall of Famers this year. So it's just, I don't think there was anybody totally against it. It's just one of those things that nobody ever pushed for it either. Yeah, it's it's really a a head-scratcher because, again, the names you're talking about in the organization, while it's not hundreds or even dozens, uh, you've got Hannes Wagner, Roberto Clemente, Paul Wehner, and Willie Stargell. Sure seems like a good spot uh, that would have some somebody would have come up with this, not the idea, but they would have executed it some time ago. What do you think this summer? Uh, do you, you expect the class to be about five or six people? The introductory class. I I would think I'll be honest. This is a typical Pittsburgh Pirates production. <laughs> it's 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 not very well thought out. Right. You know, when I've asked some people in the organization on the business side, it's like, well, we're still kind of thinking about that. And it makes <laughs> me think that they have no idea what they're doing. I hate to say it, yeah. but well, it it's seems like because, like you said, I mean, there's 42 people in the Hall of Fame with pirate connections, right? Either players, managers, owners, right, or broadcaster or broadcasters. Others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, there's plenty of candidates now. I don't think they would go more than five or six because if you put like 15 or 20 right, in once, then, it kind of dilutes everything. Right. They're probably figuring out how to monetize it in such a way. And when, when I say monetize it, if they have Steve Blass, they can tie in a Steve Blass bobblehead night exactly. or something like that. Whereas, you know, uh, Roberto Clemente and Stargell have passed on, you know, a long time ago. But it would seem like the names you mentioned, Hannes Wagner, Clemente, Paul Wehner, 
Willie Stargell, and I'll throw one more in, would be Bob Prince, uh, the gunner, a longtime voice yeah. of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Blass would seem like a hell of a starting point. Yeah, it would to me too. Yeah, and I think if they do want to induct a non-player in the first cat in the first class, and I think certainly that would make sense on a lot of levels. Yeah, Bob Prince would would certainly be the be a very good candidate for the sixth guy, either him or possibly Danny Murtaugh, the only Pirate manager to win two World Series. Right. I think you know one of those two. Uh, and the only again, name, the only name not in your story that would seem from a historic standpoint would be Mazeroski. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, you know, I think you certainly can make a very big case for him because he had the, the greatest moment yeah. in pirate history with the game seven uh, game winning home run in the bottom of the ninth inning against the Yankees. And I think certainly if he's not in the first class, he would be in the second. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're really they're really. I know the Pirates haven't had a whole lot of success uh, in, the, in recent last few decades, and they haven't been to the World Series in 40, 41 years now, but uh, there really are a, a lot of great players, prickly hitters in this organization, so they would have no problem filling quite a few classes uh, before you'd start to, uh, yeah. you know, start to, to cool. question some of the uh, some of the people that go in, but yeah, it's... Uh, It'll be interesting to see what they do, and, I, and I'm going to, you know, and I, I, I'm just a little surprised that this effort isn't a little <laughs> more organized as you get this closer to the start of the season, and they really don't seem to really know exactly how they're going to handle this, and that really leaves me scratching my head. I can I understand, understand that. Why? My producer Paul Valley's got a question for you, John. Hey, John. Sure. Is it- is this going to be one? Is this going to be something that they do every year moving forward? And two, where does a guy like Dave Parker uh, fit? Where he had like a nine, ten year career with the Pirates, well, won two bonds batting titles, and bonds and Benia too. Yeah. Where, where do guys like that fit? Well, I think eventually Parker would be part of it. I mean, certainly he was one of the best players in franchise history, and his standpoints out Barry Bonds, uh, Bobby Benia. I think you know certainly make a case for them too. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people connect bonds with the Giants because he played there for 15, 16 years, but, but he also played for the Pirates and won two MVPs. Again, details are just so scarce. I would assume, like other teams, that they would induct at least a couple of people every year mm-hmm. after they originally have a couple of bigger classes to get the ball rolling. But again, it just when you ask people with the Pirates, it's just like they had this idea, but they don't really know how they're going to execute it. And I, it's a little frustrating for people who care about this kind of stuff uh, yeah. because it's almost like, okay, well, we had this idea, and then, well, whatever. So yeah. I don't really have a whole lot of answers because they have given uh, very few details, and I don't think they, they really know themselves what they're going to do. And uh, that just surprises me how how hard moving off of this topic because we can only beat that uh, dead horse for well it's an alive horse but it's uh, an interesting horse uh, yeah. uh how do you think they talked uh, ben charrington who's one of the brightest young baseball executives do you think that was a hard decision for ben to go with this organization given sort of the problematic way they do some things john well this is this is what I've gathered from talking to people who know Ben, worked with him, especially all the years he was in Boston as the GM and certainly assistant GM in other roles. He was with the Red Sox 
approximately 15 years, and a lot of people say that he's always been fascinated by small market teams, mm-hmm. and, and if he could take a small market team with limited p- payroll and limited budget and see if he could win with it. You know, I mean, it's one thing for the Red Sox. They have one of the highest or the highest payroll most every year, and it's a little hard. I, I think it's not as much a challenge because if you make a mistake, you can just paper over it by throwing more money at another player. Or here, it's the total opposite. In fact, it's gotten even worse. Their payroll this year is probably going to be around $50, $52 million, yeah. which is nothing in this day and age. I mean, even the Orioles are on, on par, and this is a team who's clearly still in a rebuild with a lot of young players. The Orioles are going to have a $65 million payroll, give or take, and that would be the second lowest. So, so you keep, have a keep million in, keep in mind, disparity. Keep, Keep in mind, John, the Orioles have two locked-in contracts that they can't move, and Chris Davis at 21 and Cobb at 15. After you get past that, the other 24 players are probably going to make somewhere in the $30 million range or something like that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So, but anyway, I think Charrington, he wants to challenge. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he proved he could win a World Series in a big market, which he did in 2013. I think this is more of a personal thing for him, not just professional. He mm-hmm. had a chance to interview for the Mets job last year, at the, or I should say two years ago now, at the end of the 2018 season, and he turned it down. And there were other chances. He had a chance to interview for the Giants' job after 2018. He turned it down. Right. And a lot of people say that you know he's a small town guy from from New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. He's not a spotlight type of guy. He's he's a very good guy, very yep. nice guy. Yep. But they feel that Pittsburgh is the type of place he can be comfortable in, and, and really feels he can challenge himself to see if he can overcome all the obstacles you have here, including the. Uh, tight-fisted ownership and still be able to put a winning team on the field. So that's how he ended up here because I know that raised quite a few eyebrows around baseball when he uh, when he first thought become a candidate here for the job and then, then accepted the job. Yeah, he, he went from the one of the higher-profile teams in being general manager of the Red Sox under Larry Lucchino, and then when he flamed out there, uh, perhaps he's just bided his time to get the position where he's got the leverage where he won't have that kind of pressure on him. Uh, because I think the Pirates are fortunate to get a baseball man with his with his resume. I think they were, too. And I'll, I'll be quite honest, I was quite surprised when he emerged as a candidate yeah. here. And I, I just didn't think that somebody of his skill level, somebody of his reputation would want to step into this situation. And I agree, Stan, the Pirates are very, very lucky, but they're going to have to give him some kind of help. I I don't care who the general manager is. It's going to be near impossible to win with a $50 million payroll. And, uh, you know, I know it's it's not a rebuilding year because they won't use that term now, but certainly it's a year where there's no expectations for them to win. And uh, I think they're going to try to use this year to find out who can help this team in the long range, who are some guys that might build up enough trade value that they can trade in the winter and get prospects or maybe at the trading deadline this year. And uh, But, yeah, on the whole, 
you know, I, I don't care who you are. At some point, you have to have at least a minimum amount of money to work with in order to win. And, and I really question whether the ownership of Bob Nutting here care about that. It just seems like they are so obsessed with the bottom line, yeah. making it to get as profit as they can. That I really don't know if you could uh, if you could exhume Branch Ricky. <laughs> and have him come back and win as general manager. We're talking with John Parado from Pittsburgh. He's a freelance writer there, long time with the Pittsburgh Trib. Um, John, um, it's it's interesting when you look at the Pirates. This this most recent trade they made, the Sterling Marte trade, it really smacked of almost the same deal at a slightly higher level that the Orioles made last summer when they traded Andrew Kashner for two 19-year-olds or 18-year-olds from the Dominican from the Red Sox. It just seemed like they're taking two probably well-thought-of lottery tickets, but you know nothing incredibly jumps out at you on that trade that they got somebody that's about to help them anytime soon. Yeah, and I think that's a departure from what has happened here the last couple of big trades when Neil Huntington was still the general manager. He traded Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon prior to the 18 season, about a month before spring training. Got prospects, but they weren't high-ceiling type mm-hmm. prospects. And you look at what they got for Garrett Cole, and they really didn't get any of the four players who you would say could make a big impact. Right. Maybe... Uh, Maybe these kids will at least. Uh, I mean, it's so hard to tell. Like you said, they're lottery tickets. Uh, you know, neither one of them, I mean, they're still in their, both 19, so it's hard to say. I mean, they both have a lot of talent. They've both been well regarded by the people who rank prospects in various outlets. But again, I think their feeling was if we're going to trade Starling Marte, why get a guy who's the best going to be a fourth or fifth starter, or a guy who's going to be a, a, a league average third base? and go out and get kids who maybe maybe they'll fizzle out, but maybe they'll turn out to be above-average players, all-star type caliber players. So I think that's a kind of change in philosophy you've seen here with Ben Charrington's first trade. John, um, Neil Huntington, who was the GM there in Pittsburgh, what, for about eight or nine years, I'm guessing? Twelve. Twelve years, okay. Yeah. For the most part, given what ownership would allow him to spend – I think we'd say, you know, his his painting canvas. He did a nice job at painting something, until until those last couple trades, most notably the Chris Archer trade, which ironically he was trying to make to make his team a better suited contender. But he, how how embarrassing was that to walk around for a year and a half, having traded Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now. And another young prospect, I think, for Chris Archer, who never really did anything. Well, that I think that was the trade that eventually got him fired. And I think, you know, it was odd. He didn't get fired right at the end of the season. He got fired about a month after yep. on October 28th. Yep. And I think what happened is the ownership of Bob Nutting, uh, the owner, watched the postseason, and he saw Tyler Glass now pitch well except in one of his two right. starts against the Astros, uh, he saw Austin Meadows had made an all-star team and hitting in the middle of the Rays lineup. He saw Garrett Cole just be absolutely dominant. And his question was, well, why weren't these guys this good in Pittsburgh? Right. Is it coaching? Is it just luck of the draw that they got better? What is it? 
and I think that was the end of the line. I just think, uh, you know, Chris Archer was so bad last year, only won three games, and ERA of almost six, and I just think that was the deal that did Huntington in, and, it, and it's funny, like you said, for so long it was trading, it was always trading guys, veteran guys away for young guys, and the one time they go the other way, and it was debatable why they did it when they were already five games out in the wild card, that they really didn't have a realistic chance to, to make the playoffs when they made the trade in 2018. And uh, then for it to just be an unmitigated disaster, I think that was, uh, that was the last straw. And then quite honestly, Neil Huntington did a really good job here. He took a, a, an organization that lacked talent, both the major league and minor league level, turned it into a, a, a team that ended its 20-year streak of losing seasons, made the playoffs three years in a row. On the whole, he did a good job, but that uh, that trade is, was his waterloo. Yeah, I remember for, for a number of years, Ray Searage was the guy who could, he was sort of like the dog whisperer to veteran pitchers, and you thought when they acquired Chris Archer, boy, this is going to be a good fit, and it just never worked out at all. It didn't, and, and a lot of that's organizational philosophy. Yeah, and they, you know, they were at the forefront of shifting a lot, getting ground ball pitchers to get guys, get hitters to hit the ball on the ground into the shift for outs. But then when hitters adjusted, hitting coaches adjusted and started swinging, uh, you know, trying to hit more fly balls intentionally with launch angle and everything, the Pirates pitchers didn't they, they didn't adjust their fo- organizational philosophy, and all of a sudden other teams started throwing high fastballs, but. Uh, you know, getting uh, getting hitters to have to get on top of the ball, and the Pirates were still throwing sinkers, and all of a sudden, those same hitters that were hitting the ball on the ground were hitting the ball in the air for doubles and home runs, and the Pirates never adjusted. They stubbornly stayed to their same plan of attack, and, uh, you know, they went from being at the forefront of a lot of creative thinking in baseball to suddenly a lot of other teams passed them, and all of a sudden what, what the Pirates were doing was, was passe. It was sort of like you know, if an NFL team went back to a single wing or something, it's like, well, this is, you know, 2019, 2020. That doesn't work anymore. Hey, the uh, duo of Clint Hurdle and Ray Searage now gone. And who's replaced uh, Searage? I forget. Uh, the pitching coach uh, is Oscar Marin, who okay. was uh, the Rangers' bullpen coach last year. It was first year as a uh, major league coach. He was a coach in the Mariners' system and, <clears throat> excuse me, farm system and, and the Rangers' farm system. Uh, a younger guy, I, I believe he's 37, uh, 36, 37 in that range. Uh, he seems like uh, a very personable guy, somebody who can relate to the pitchers. Not that Ray Searage wasn't. Ray was very well revered by, by his pitching staff. But somebody seems open to more, you know, willing to new ideas, to different, uh, you know, a lot of the, the biomechanical type things that are out there now, the breakdown pitchers' deliveries with the cameras and the high speed, you know, all the computerized type of uh things that are generated now so he's the new uh he's the new uh, pitching coach and it's going to be interesting to see uh you know how this all comes together in spring training because uh you know as usual like most teams they'll have about 30 to 35 pitchers there yep and that's a lot of guys to get familiar with in a short period of time hey john parada pittsburgh freelance writer long time with the trib writes for everybody in pittsburgh where sports are consumed 
Many thanks for joining us today to talk about this. We'll grab you sometime during the season if it's okay. All right. Thanks, Stan. Thanks All for right. having me. All right. Very enjoyable talk. All right. There you go. Uh, John Parada. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pay a couple bills right now and tell you the latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special Press Box Best of 2019 issue. Only a few copies left on the streets presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Ardeen honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sportsperson of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We'll remind you that we are brought to you by... Mobile One, Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. And one more before we get our friend Bill Latson on with us, and that is today's show is sponsored by Citron Restaurant and Bar. You'll love their fresh Atlantic seafood, sushi, and thick grass-fed steaks. Their Wagyu beef burgers to die for. CitronBaltimore.com. All right, joining us now is Bill Latson. Bill, how are you, my friend? Doing great. How about you? Good, good, good. You feeling okay? Everything's okay. All Just right. had to help my wife. All right. I know that. I know that. Yeah. I know yeah, that. she comes first. All right. She does. She should come first. Um, yeah. The, the, I don't know if you read The Athletic at all, but Jason Stark uh, and Eno Saras yesterday, uh, or the day before, came out with a, a pretty amazing rundown on some of what the Astro numbers really look like when you break them down, the home and road splits. Were you able to digest that? Um, no, I didn't. But, you know, the, the bottom line is, Stan, the Astros lost the series. So, I mean, in terms of what happened this year anyway, you know, the Nationals are the champs. But, you, you know, like the punishment – has fit the crime. I mean, you know, the right people has, have been punished. And, uh, you know, Dusty Baker's going to take over, and I think he's going to do a good, great job. Um, what do you think in the end convinced Jim Crane that Dusty was the right guy? Because he interviewed a bunch of the higher-profile, out-of-work veteran managers, Buck and, um, and John Gibbons. What do you right. think was the difference? Just Buck Baker's total comfortability in his own body? Yes, and I think how he deals with people. I mean, this is a guy that's been through it all. I mean, this guy had his own controversies. He's been through divorces. He's been through a lot of stuff. So he he knows, you know, what the players are dealing with. And I think that came down to that, besides winning as well. I mean, the guy is a winner during the regular season. Hopefully he can uh, get it done during the regular during the offseason. The postseason, I should say. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com, and we are broadcasting from the live casino hotel studio. Uh, pretty nice place here to watch a show. And if you're watching us on Facebook Live, please like and share the program. Uh, Bill, we're about 10, 12 days away from spring training. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this where you had to get three managers named in the last two and a half, three weeks 
before spring training. But now uh-huh. we've still got one one uh, candidate out there that's going to get the Boston Red Sox job. Do you have any insights into whom that might be? The, the last one was a name I can't even remember right now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's going slow. Yeah. I think that they've taken their time. And, you know, like, they're keeping the coaching staff. That's the bottom line. So I, I don't think I don't think it's a rush to get a manager right away because, you know, those same coaches were there, you know, last year and the, and the year before when they won the championship. So, I, you know, the, I, the Red Sox are not in a rush. And, uh, you know, I think they should take their time, just like, uh, you know, the Astros did, the, you know, with the GM. So we'll see what happens. You know, I, the name the name surfaced the other day of Peter Woodfork as being the uh, lead contender for the general manager's job. I know they've interviewed Daniel Evans, who used to be an executive with the Giants, dating back as long ago as when Dusty was with the Giants. So there's a little familiarity there. But it struck me that, that and follow me for a second, Bud Selig used to like to put somebody that he was familiar with around the, the the baseball landscape. He liked Lucchino in San Diego or Boston. He liked Caston in Washington or L.A. And then he liked Sandy Alderson, somebody he was familiar with when the Mets problem was uh, problematic uh, up there. Is, is this a, a version of that with the GM role where they want somebody that MLB can help shape the culture of what they want teams to be like? No, I think I think they want to get the right guy. I really do. I mean, um, this a little bit reminds me of uh, you, you forgot to mention the, the Expos when they hired uh, Omar Minaya, yeah, and uh, Frank Robinson. Yep. But uh, I, I'm telling you, I think they're going to get the right guy. I think they're going to get their own guy, um, and then um, they, you know they already said they love their analytics, you know, people already. So we'll see uh, how that goes. I mean, I don't know. You know who the final candidates are, but with even with that, they're taking their time. Yeah, they sure are. Uh, the three candidates that are in house are Ron Renicky, the bench coach, third base coach Carlos Feblas, and special assistant Jason Veritek. It seems like if you wanted one of those, you probably would have moved already. And sometimes in business, any business, not just sports, when you have three viable candidates on hand. You run the risk if you pick one of those, you piss off the other two. Whereas if you go outside the organization, the other three sort of say, "Okay, well, it wasn't me," you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think the the Red Sox are gonna, you know, the Red Sox have a great front office. I think uh, they're gonna take their time on this. I think they can't go wrong. This is an organization that's won four championships in the last fifteen years, and, and I think whatever they do, they'll get it right. All right, Bill Latson is our guest from MLB.com. Bill, uh, any news with uh, the New York Yankees? Anything going on with the Yankees right now? No, I mean, uh, they're waiting for spring training to start. Uh, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what Garrett Cole does, obviously. I still, I'll tell you what I've been telling you in high school all this time. I still think they need starting pitching, and uh, we'll see uh, how that goes. All right. Now, the other team that is the, the highest-profile team in the sport is probably the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, you know the old expression, where there's smoke, there's fire. Is there still some smoke to this Mookie Betts deal, which seems like it's got legs attached to it? 
Well, it, yeah. Well, you know, Mookie Betts, you know, he wants to become a free agent. I think the Red Sox have no choice but to trade him because he's already said publicly he's going to test the free agent waters. So, but I, I got to remind you of this. The Red Sox are going to want a lot in return. I mean, right. I'm sure they're going to want a lot of their, you know, people in their farm system. They have a great, the Padres have a great farm system. So they're going to have to give up a lot. It's not just uh, major league players. It's going to be, you know, you might see like a seven-for-one deal. You just never know. Yeah. Well, the deal with the Dodgers, they're, they're, apparently they're going over machinations with including David Price and Betts and just Betts. Um, I would guess that Betts would be more valuable to the Red Sox in terms of the re- the literal return of players if they don't try and push David Price in that deal. Right, because I think if they did take David Price, I mean, he makes a lot of money also. Right. and uh, But he's been dealing with a lot of injuries the last three years. So, I don't know. I mean, you almost have to say it has to be maybe Mookie Betts and for some other uh, players, like uh, you got to give up maybe five or six players. So, um, I, I think that's the way it's going to go. I don't see David Price going in this deal. You don't see him going in the deal? No. All right. Because he's been injured the last three years. All right. We're talking to Bill Latson of MLB.com. Uh, did you miss Craig Heist on this trip in? I always miss him, man. Yeah. You, know, you know how that is. Well, he's doing his Nats talk over on Masson today, where they pay, you know, where they pay real money to. to you know, when I watch Bad Boys, uh, yeah. Bad Boys 2, yeah, I, I I laugh because that relationship reminds me so much of uh, me and Heist. So yeah. I, I get a laugh at that. He's a special guy, Craig Heist. He, he just celebrated he a birthday. Uh, don't agree with him on much outside of sports, but we find sports <laughs> as a great common denominator. You and I, yes. I can tell, would agree on a lot of other things. Yes. <laughs> All right. Listen, let me let you get back to your wife, uh, and we will catch up with you next week. All right. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bill Latson of MLB.com. You can read his stuff all throughout the season on MLB.com. We've still got two more guests to go on the show. John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun will make his first trip in, uh, and uh, we'll be joined by him in just a couple minutes. But let me try and find my – hold on. I know I got it here. I know it's here. There it is. It's in a different category. Okay, that's right. It's not food and it's not non-food. Tell me if I got that right. Is that good? Yeah, you're right there. All right. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirt, which recognizes how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. The shirt is available in white and gray for just $25, and a long sleeve shirt is now also available for $29.99. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's Bozeman. B-O-Z-E-M-A-N shirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying. And again, we will be following 
the incredible journey of Nikki and Bradley Bozeman as they drive around the country and speak to 16,000, more than 16,000 students about the scourge of bullying in our country and how we can stop it. And a lot of the times it's going to call upon your youngster to call it out for what it is and not allow it to go on. All right, Live Casino Hotel's brand-new venue, The Hall at Live, is open and will host lots of world-class entertainment in 2020 on Sunday. That's tomorrow, February 2nd. Live Casino Hotel hosts a big game live viewing party for $29.99. Watch the title game with all-you-can-eat stadium bites, pita chips, hummus, veggies, build-your-own nachos, Italian sub sandwiches, steamed hot dogs, and grilled brats. For $59.99, enjoy the game, the all-you-can-eat stadium bites, and an open bar. Get your tickets now at livecasinohotel.com. Other great events coming to the Hall at Live this year include Friday night, February 28th, Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler. Hold on a second. Excuse me. The Friday night fight is February 28th. Squeeze is February 29th. OAR is March 14th. Adam Sandler is March 19th. I I think I had read that wrong. Air Supply is April 3rd. Josh Groban, April 16th. Patti LaBelle, May 2nd. And Gabriel Iglesias, August 22nd. Get your tickets now by going to livecasinohotel.com. And now let me do one more of our spots here, and that is Baltimore's favorite sports bar is just 771 feet from home plate, Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards. It's the perfect sports bar for Terps and Cap season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's originally original, continuously operating bars. And we will, are we taking a break here? Do we need one? Yeah, we got to get one. Let's get one in, and then we'll be back with John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun. Our children's future starts at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Enroll today. Visit archbalt.org schools for more information or to find a school near you. Okay, I'm getting an Italian cold cut with oil and vinegar. Turkey and Swiss with extra mayo for me. And I want a ham and cheese with everything. Before we go to the game, we go to Royal Farms. It's not football without a Royal Farms sub. At Royal Farms, it's all fresh. And delicious. In this town, you don't tailgate with a hoagie. You tailgate with a Royal Farms sub and world-famous chicken. Royal Farms. Real fresh. Real fast. Real Baltimore. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostasInn.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. 
Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Cap season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders Daily Specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all of the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special Press Box Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Dean honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. He is Mr. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? He is Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. You bet, guys. How you guys doing? Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. Baltimore's own Javante Davis. Thank you. I appreciate it. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. And we are back on the bat around and uh, on this Saturday morning, the 1st of uh, February. And joining us right now is John Mioli, very fine baseball writer for the Baltimore Sun. John, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I appreciate your taking the time. When do you leave for Sarasota? Next Monday, the 10th, I believe, is the date. Now, is and then we're going. I can't believe it's February already. You're I know. Saying that surprised me. I know. You snap your finger. Wait until you get my age, John. You snap your fingers, and it goes from one season to another. Is the season... At this point, is it something you're looking forward to, or with the with the amount of the grind that it is, is it something you approach almost redis- with some reticence? Um, I've actually been talking about that a lot lately. I'm trying to kind of figure that out myself. I'm very excited for the part where, like, you know, <laughs> you get off the plane, you get off the plane, and it's 75 degrees. Well, that part will be good yeah. too. But just the part where you know, you know, you get down there and you start seeing things you want to write about, and you start seeing things that are going to be fun and like you know, cool stories to tell, and that part's exciting. That's the part that keeps me going. But you know, it's probably the same for for me and you know my peers and colleagues as it is for Orioles fans, where you're thinking to yourself like, man, like what's this going to be like? You know, yeah. last year everything was kind of new and interesting, and at least you were trying to figure out what was going to be different. This year is going to be a lot of the same, if not worse, and, you know, there's not a lot of novelty to it. You're still, everyone's still working towards that long-term goal. You don't know how far along it is, and all you can really do is, you know, is is pay attention to what's happening <laughs> at the major league level the best you can, knowing that it's still not really the focus. Right. Uh, agreed. It's, it's interesting, though. Last year, when the season started, 
and we we had no idea John Means was going to be what he was. But the the concept that you had Cobb, Bundy, and Kashner at the top of the rotation gave you a belief that 60% of the games you'd have a, a decent enough starter. And then it kind of, when Bundy got off kind of poorly and Cobb was, of course, hurt, it really was a crapshoot and led to the Straley signing, which turned out to be a disaster. And the reason for this long-winded question, do you think the club has, and, and they're not finished yet necessarily, but do you think they fortified themselves against the total disaster last year's starting pitching was, or is it still quite capable of being that ugly? I think I, I'll, I'll kind of hedge. I think that everything they've done has been, you know, in the in the idea of trying to fortify themselves against it. Yeah, you know, that was a situation where I'll never forget. I don't think I was around. I think I was at a minor league game or somewhere. But you know, they had to call. If there was a game in June, they had to call Luis Ortiz up. Right. To make a spot start, and someone asked Brandon Hyde, "What do you expected? You know, <laughs> what was the expectation?" He was like, "I have no idea." Like <laughs> we were at that point where they didn't really know what they had in any of these guys, and they didn't really have any good options. You know, whether it's you know turning guys off the roster, some of the guys who started last year, like Chandler Shepard, Ty Block, Tom Eshelman, you know Wade LeBlanc is the free agent signing on a minor league deal, Cole Stewart in on a minor or on a major league deal with an option. I think they're really just trying to make it so that at least they know what they're going to have if yeah. they get into those situations. They don't have to go buy an Ashford Kowski as well as that went. They don't have to, you know, chip out a million dollars in international money for Tom Eshelman because they're not doing that type of thing anymore. They don't want to have to do that in season. So I think that everything that's been done has been to at least make it so that they have some kind of starter, that they have an idea of what they're going to get. But we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about upgrades, I think, at this point. I think that's that's kind of the rub. John, uh, there has been an, a reference to Andrew Kashner, and I, I mentioned it a couple months ago because I knew Kashner wasn't going to get like an $8 million offer, and it looks like maybe for 2 or $3 million, maybe with a year and an option and a small buyout or something like that, that he could be a fit here. Do you see that? Um. Personally, like not without like without any reporting, it doesn't it doesn't seem like as natural a fit just because he had played here as you know as as a lot of people do. And I respect that I respect that it's an easy you know it would be an easy thing for both of them to yep. do really. But this is a guy who this is a guy who was pretty firm about not wanting to be traded last year, and then he was despite that. And it didn't go well for him. He went to a situation where he got, you know, he's very proud about being a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. He went to a situation where they gave him, like, two starts, and then were basically like, hey, you know what? No. <laughs> you're not a starter. You're a reliever. You know, it wasn't even a situation. I don't think he was very – he probably didn't end up very happy in. And I think that they need to look at, you know, they're signing, like, the Wade LeBlanc types, you know, Cole Stewart, Brandon Bailey, Michael Rucker, all these younger guys who are going to be competing for rotation spots. I just feel like I just feel like there needs to be more of some kind of upside if they're going to give out a major league deal to a starting pitcher. You know, I think Taiwan Walker's still out there. Guys like that, you know, they might be a little rich for the Orioles, yeah. case, given what they want to spend and what they're willing to spend. But I think something that someone who has a little more, you know, either value to stay with the team long term, value if they want to flip them in a trade. They've already examined the Andrew Kashner trade market once in midseason, yeah. and they got two seventeen-year-olds. You know that. That, that 
that kind of represented what the rest what? of the game kind of thought of him. And I think free agency is doing the same thing. So I don't know if they want to lock themselves in that situation again. So mm-hmm. easy connection to make. It would be. It wouldn't be surprising if they ultimately like in a marriage of convenience did it. But I don't think that he checks a ton of the boxes that they're going to be looking for and my, with my, that last you know free agent pitching signing. My biggest fear about not doing somebody like that or like a walker is that if Cobb, you know, if they get down there and all of a sudden three weeks in Cobb springs a leak, then you've got really no veteran presence whatsoever. You know, that that's yeah. my and, one and that's, fear. And that's, yeah. And that's a legit, you know, that's a legit concern. It was pretty, it was especially last year after Cashner was trading, you know, Dylan Bundy was like a lead by example type guy and, that's something that they've, you know, it, it worked, I think, as a good contrast to Cashner's, mm-hmm. you know, more more vocalness. But I think that when they're talking about, you know, their contingencies for that, their contingencies are like those guys, not the Keegan Aikens or Gene Kramers or, you know, any of the guys who are in Bowie that were going to be in AAA this year. I think having the contingencies of like the kind of the depth AAA starters, yep. that's a little more, I think that's a little more what they're thinking about. Okay, if Cobb does go down, it's not like we're going to be, you know, using the cons as an opener because we can't figure out who's going to start today. I think that that's, I think that that part of it, even though it's not like a great answer, I think at least they have answers in that sense. Let's uh, let's move to the bullpen, or at least somebody we think as a bullpen pitcher now, and that's Hunter Harvey. Now, listen, when you when you compare talent, he's probably the most talented arm they probably still have in the organization, despite its fragility. But do you see him now? Do you think the club is committed that Hunter Harvey is a reliever, or do you think if he is able to come out and pitch 50, 60 innings out of the bullpen and stay healthy this year, that they could revisit that at a later date? I'm sure it's a conversation that's going to, you know, be open but never on the for- on the front burner. Yep. You know, I was down, I was down there in Bowie last year, the day that he was going to make his first relief appearance and it had been kind of an up and down you know season for him he still had the stuff that everyone had seen for years in spring training he was healthy and the results just weren't there and if you're a pitcher like him you're a guy like him who has waited so long to get the opportunity to pitch regularly and you go out and you burn 80 pitches and three and a third innings and don't pitch that well, and you have to wait five, six days to pitch again. He didn't really like that. He likes to be able to go out there and, you know, make his pitches and, you know, get guys out and then be able to do it again. He was really excited about this. It seems like, you know, he didn't necessarily go banging on the door for it the way that someone like Dylan Tate did, but it was something that he was interested in, and it worked out well for the Orioles. During the, you know, two-and-a-half, three-week stretch that he was a regular part of their bullpen in August – they had like a two-something ERA as a group. Everything else fell into place when he was there. Yeah. So while the Orioles need starting pitching, you know they're never going to have enough. Even when they have enough, we learned that when they were drafting guys fourth overall and you know trying to build a rotation that way. We're going to learn that when some of these guys come up and they aren't as and they stick, don't stick. But I don't. I think that having a Hunter Harvey in the bullpen is going to be a lot more beneficial to this team, probably in the near and the medium term than. I'm trying to see if it works as a starter again. What do you mentioned Dylan Tate. I happened to see something in Dylan Tate as a relief pitcher that I really liked. Do you see that, or do you think he's still real problematic? I think that he's he's the type of pitcher last year who, you know, he 
when he would get have like you know when he would scuffle, it was a lot of weird situations. You know, he'd pitch two shutout innings on a day when their bullpen was thin, and, and they try and like get a third pitches. out of him. Yeah, and and they'd have to get a third out of him, and then he gives up. You know, he's one out away from getting out of that inning, and he gives up a two run home run, and it doesn't look very good. You know, he's yeah. that type of guy. He's he's one of the harder workers you're going to see. Mm-hmm. I think that. I think that he's found, a, like, he's jumped around organizations. He's found something that I think works for him, and I think this is an organization that lets somebody like him, if he wants to do his own thing, hey, as long as it works for you and it's working for you, do it. I think he's going to be an interesting one. I know that having options is, is kind of a detriment to a guy like that, but he seems like the type of pitcher who I think can really can really kind of make a step forward. Yep and solidify himself into one of those mid-inning roles if he's given the opportunity. I agree with you on that. Let me ask you about a couple quick players before we let you go. Uh, And I'm asking you about some of the fringy guys. Uh, Richie Martin, is he a real candidate to be that 26th man on the team or or even something more than that? Or or is he a guy that they clearly think needs some polishing at the uh, AAA level? We know this front office just from the way that they handled guys who had been in the big leagues but not necessarily completed their major league time, whether it's Austin Hayes, whether it's Francisco, Anthony Santander last year, DJ Stewart to an extent. They're not going to use the fact that you were in the big leagues, no matter the reason, whether it was Rule 5, whether it was, you know, the old front office wanted to get you up and wanted to show that they could draft big leaguers, whatever the reason was they didn't really use that in the factor in where you were going to be. So I think that, especially now that Jose Iglesias has been signed, they claim Richard Urania mm-hmm. off waivers from the Blue Jays, who can be that kind of utility type. Pat Valaika is on the roster now. He doesn't play shortstop, but you can kind of you can manage not having a, a backup shortstop on the bench if you have one like Richie Martin and AAA who can come up and play it in a pinch. I think that he'll get the opportunity to go down and, play every day in AAA, you know, he, he he hit a lot better in the second half. There's no denying that, but he was also hitting mostly against left-handers right. in, in positive situations. You have to see if that can translate into an everyday role because there's not a lot of right-handed platoon hitting shortstops in the big leagues. It's just not an archetype that really exists. You know, he could be maybe a bench bat doing that, but they want him to be more. So there's no other way to find out than to go out there and see if he could face righties every day and make it happen. After after Manny Machado came up to the big leagues, I don't think the Orioles had a more solid pro- offensive prospect than Chance Cisco for a number of years. Uh, you know, five years. And Chance, if you look at his minor league numbers, it shows that he should hit at the big league level if, if you use the usual predictors. What do you think his problem has been so far? Are there mitigating circumstances, or is he just – destined to be a bust I think that I don't I wouldn't say at this point that he's destined to be a bust I think there's a lot of things kind of contributing to what's been going on with him one is I think there was a like I think that he tried to make his game a little more power oriented than it was he was never a big like you know right. home run type guy he was a guy who was going to hit doubles into the gap and have a good approach and you know not blow people away with like, you know, Trey Mancini type power numbers, but be a productive hitter. I think that's gone a little bit. There's a little more swing and miss than there used to be. I'm interested to 
get a chance to talk to him when we get down to spring training about you know some of the changes he made in the offseason, some of the work. And I think that there's also, you know, a lot of pressures of being a major league catcher that that can influence the other side. He's always been someone that, you know, talking to scouts, I know even from when he was in Delmarva coming all the way up, people who've seen him his whole career, he's the type of guy who you could tell you could tell what he did in his last at bat when he comes out into the field defensively and he tried to, he was able to compartmentalize that really well. But I think being a rookie catcher in the big leagues with that pitching staff in 2017 with Cashner and Cobb and, you know, a lot of the veterans in the bullpen, I think that was, a, that was a pretty, that was a pretty big test for him. And I mm-hmm. think it's something that takes a while to kind of reestablish yourself. They wanted him to be confident. That's what you heard all off yep. or all last off season into spring. They, Hey, we want this guy to be confident. We want him to carry himself like a catcher. I think he did that. Now the next step is to translate that out onto the field. All right, one more player uh, who had, I'd say, 70% of his time with the Orioles last year. He was really a solid producer. But the last 20 games or 25 games, Anthony Santander uh, really skidded to where an on-base percentage at one time looked like he – he was like solidly at like 335, 340. He ended up under 300 on base with a terrible last like 30 at bats. Uh, was he injured at the end? Was it fatigue uh, or just pitchers caught up to something on him? I think I think it was more just getting worn down by a long season. Mm-hmm. We never found out exactly what it was right. that he was dealing with, but I think it was that last week in Boston. I I, I believe they were in uh, Toronto before that, and he didn't really play, and he wasn't in the lineup, and there was never anything specific about about what he was dealing with. But it was pretty clear that like he had been he had been you know posting up for a long time when maybe a couple days off would have done him some good, and it got to the point where. You know, he was just cashed in for the season, and that was it. I think he's someone, you know, if he could be that person he was during that middle productive stretch, I mean, that's a very valuable player. He's not an everyday center fielder, but someone who can play center field, you know, in a pinch if you need need him to. The switch hitter who could play all across the outfield. There's a lot of, there's a lot of value in a player like that for an, you know, especially for an Orioles team. It's not like he's a, like a way better defender than a Trey Mancini, but you know he could be a defensive replacement if he doesn't have an everyday role. There are ways to find. There are ways to find. You know, four hundred something at bats for a player like that over the course of a season. Even if the Orioles outfield pans out the way you want it to, and you know it's a Trey Mancini in left and Austin Hayes in center and Eusniel Diaz in right by the end of this year. All right, we'll be looking forward to seeing you in uh, early March and uh, always a pleasure to read your stuff, and thanks for your time this morning, John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. Talk to you soon. All right. Hey, uh, we had a pretty special season, our Baltimore Ravens did this year, but when it comes to dining out casually and affordable, I know a place that is special every season. That's the Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Not only are they known all over for their great steamed crabs and uh, crab cakes, they have a couple specials you want to keep in mind. Monday night is crab cake night. Tuesday night is ribs night. Wednesday night is steak night partnered with half-price bottles of your favorite wines, and Thursday night is Lobster Night. So check out the Costas Inn any season of the year, and you may come back 
time and time again, 4100 North Point Boulevard, phone number 410-477-1975. Call that number if you want to stop by the Costas Inn tomorrow for Super Bowl Sunday, uh, the Costas Inn, 410-477-1975. you got to reserve your crabs. Joining us right now is our friend from the left coast, and I'm a little late for our date today. Andy Dolich joins us, and Andy, how are you? I'm great. Uh, when I tuned in this morning, the first thing I heard was Cobb Springs a leak, and I went, is that a historical note, or what What should I know that I don't know? Um, so, Cobb, Cobb Springs a leak, and it was right in the middle of me having another sip waiting for you guys with my fancy, clancy Pilsner. Do you so, get, you, all's good here on the West Coast. You get fancy, clancy pills around on the West Coast, don't you? I have no idea, but <laughs> I'm going to look for it. I'm going to look for it later today. Of course, here in this market, nobody's interested in football. Oh, maybe they are. Yeah. Uh, there's one of our teams is playing in a game tomorrow. What do you think? Let's, let's start with that rather than wait. A lot of people tease that and then wait to the end. The Super Bowl tomorrow is it going to be a high number of folks that watch this game? Is this a, a game that people are excited about? Well, all I can say is I know from the betting line a team with red uh, is going to win. Um, <laughs> I, I do think it, it's going to have a big audience, but we've talked about this before on the show. TV, live TV audiences, how do you figure that out? Mm-hmm. Are there going to be hundreds of millions of people tuning in on all kinds of digital devices? No question. And it comes down to how exciting is the game going to be? And, you know, everybody here wants Super Bowl number six for the 49ers because when you think about four and 12 a year ago, yeah. we're trying to predict that the Golden State Warriors would be 10 and 39. Wow. Uh, that's why people love sports because nobody can figure it out, even geniuses like you guys. Yeah. Speaking of the the Golden State Warriors, so they're ten and thirty nine, and they're in their new home. But is the new home such a draw, and were tickets so hard to get that the tickets have all been gobbled up? Well, they have because the lead in was one of the most magical runs in NBA history, and they sold at a perfect time, almost like the Forty ers going into Levi's. Uh, with the injury plague season that they've had, and no Steph, no Clay, and Durant leaving, um, there's empty seats, but those seats have all been purchased and money's in the bank. And you know that you, uh, you're going to have two of the greatest players in the NBA coming back and hopefully healthy for next year. So whatever it's looked like cosmetically in the building, uh, they still have a pretty positive future. Have you been out to the new, the new arena? I have. It's beautiful. I mean, all these pleasure palaces that are being built for professional sports today, and I can't wait to see the opening of the $5 billion uh, joint uh, stadium in in Southern California, right, for the Chargers and the Rams. I mean, $5 billion. There are some countries that don't have that in their budget. Um, And so... You know, we live in an amazing time. The amount of money that will be focused and already has been focused on Miami for this one game. It's a national holiday. And, you know, it's why sports, and we could segue into Kobe here in a moment, 
you know, you talk about an individual, a basketball player, who has done other things, who did other things after his career was over, but the impact that this one player has made around the world shows what sports can do to elevate um, the global language of, of any sport, basketball in this case, and the ability of people to come together, which in our society right now, it's more divided than it is together. And this week at least showed me that people were united in, in just their love and honor of Kobe and what he did and not paying attention to the other babble that is taking place close to where you guys are at. You never worked for the Charlotte Hornets, but uh, a lot of people forget that Kobe Bryant was actually drafted by the Charlotte Hornets uh, 20 years ago or 19 years ago. And Jerry West, the general manager, quickly struck a deal where he traded their number one pick and Vladi Divac to the Hornets for Kobe for the rights for Kobe Bryant. Um is that one of the worst deals that anybody has ever made, or was Divac, and he was a decent enough player, uh, actually a special player in some ways, but that's got to go down as a, a pretty poor deal. Vladi Divac, the general manager of the of Sacramento Kings. Yeah, that Vladi um, Divac. I view it. I view it 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Okay. Having been lucky, in, having been lucky enough to work with the logo in Memphis. Uh huh. He ran basketball. I ran business. There, A, is no more competitive person in the history of the NBA now and going back to, you know, West Virginia than Jerry West. His 2020 vision mm-hmm. of seeing young players turn into greatness mm-hmm. is better than anybody that I've ever been around. So he saw something. And it wasn't that people didn't know Kobe Bryant from Lower Marion High School right. on the main line of Philadelphia, but Jerry saw something, just as he did with Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. when people said, ah, the guy's a bust, he's really not going to turn into much. Oops, wrong. Yeah. Um, Jerry works it as hard as anybody. You've seen how emotionally shaken he was yeah, and was... viewed Kobe as his son. Yep. So I view it as one of the greatest steals in NBA history, or steals, and Vladi, uh, well, see if you can make a deal like well, that. Well, no, no question. When I said that it was one of the worst deals, I meant the best deal yeah. for Los Angeles. But that's an interesting insight into that. My producer, Paul Valley, has a question for you, Andy Dulwich. Hey, Andy. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Um, so the whole thing with Kobe, there's tributes all week long. They had a bunch of them during the Lakers game before, during, and after the game yesterday. Uh, with the All-Star game, they've announced that they're going to be doing a tribute to Kobe where in the fourth quarter it's going to be an untimed quarter and they're basically going to play the first team to get to 24 wins the basketball game. Uh, to me, that just doesn't re- – it seems convoluted. It doesn't seem like the greatest idea for a tribute. Why not just make one team wear eight, the other team wear 24, and then talk about Kobe the entire game? How do you feel about this tribute? Because to me it just seems I like heard, they, I haven't heard that. It yeah. seems like they overthought it. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be somewhat difficult for fans to follow. And the way, and we've seen it, and we will see it in the future all around the world, the way that fans will develop their own tributes to Kobe. My idea uh, that I tried to speak to somebody at the NBA, but I knew it wouldn't go anyplace, is 
you've lost two of the greatest people in the history of the NBA. In David, David, Stern, David Stern, who created the roadmap right. that Kobe jumped in a Ferrari and took from Beijing to Buenos Aires. Why don't you just take the proceeds from the All-Star game? Tickets, merch, all that. It's in the tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. And create a fund for young boys and girls and let's not forget, you know, the horrible tragedy of Gigi and the others yep. on the helicopter. And, and Kobe's life devoted to girls' basketball and what that was going to be. Create a fund for uh, working on clinics and education for young boys and girls around the world. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the NBA isn't doing that already, mm -hmm. but to me, something like that, uh, where the money would be gigantic and the focus would be global might have been a way to go i agree with you that this is sort of overthought to a certain extent which of the two numbers is kobe more associated with did he wear 24 longer than eight i, I cannot remember I, I don't know. When I think of Kobe Bryant, I just think of the level of competitiveness yeah. that he brought to the court every time he played, and that's where his respect comes from, um, you know, around the world. Uh, that's not easily done, and I, I don't view this as a negative, but LeBron James has a, you know, incredibly hard act to follow. Yeah. in terms of the total person. Now, is Kobe perfect? None of these gentlemen are, and he surely wasn't. But he was clearly trying to move his life in the right direction, give back, and use the impact that he had to communicate um, to people everywhere. And that's one of the great parts of basketball and soccer to a certain extent. They are global sports. All you need is one ball. And, you know, a young boy or girl can live their dreams and become Kobe Bryant. Did you watch much of the game last night between the uh, Trailblazers who went in there and Damian uh, Lillard uh, had, had, had just an amazing game while it seemed like the Lakers were assumptive that they somehow would come up with whatever they needed to win on this night? It was interesting to watch Lillard have kind of a Kobe-esque game. Well, I didn't watch it, but... And, you know, Damon, uh, Damian Lillard from Oaktown, uh, you know, where I spent a lot of time, uh, has thrown some amazing games uh, out, you know, 61 against the Warriors earlier or last week. So um, every player in the NBA is processing this differently. Um, and you, you will see in their nature of play how teams are able to move through this scenario and you know there'll be a lot of focus on the all-star game uh but kobe bryant uh, i was at a high school basketball classic uh which really was classic some of the best teams in the country up in the napa valley and it was saturday night the before sunday and and there's like five top 20 kids playing in this tournament all thinking about their colleges or the pros and I could only imagine what was going through their mind a few hours later when they heard the news, um, that there is mortality, and maybe you should think about more in your life than you know where you're going to college, because you never know when that gift can be taken away from you. 
Andy Dulwich is our guest, uh, sports executive in all four major sports. And Andy, uh, a visit with us on the bat around would be nothing if we didn't talk about the uh, Oakland A's prospective stadium site at Howard Terminal. Um, can you tell us a little bit? It sounds like things are going about as well as they could to this point. Is there anything that stands in the way still of this location being the site of the A's new ballpark? Uh, as long as I have 30 seconds for a commercial announcement at the end of this, you, we'll talk about You can about take as A's. long as you want. Go ahead. So, so uh, the news out here, and uh, for people that know or care, the A's have been searching for a new ballpark. They focused on Howard Terminal, which is in the port of Oakland. It is a highly complicated location, <clears throat> much more complicated than the current Oakland Coliseum where they play. The A's have said they're going to break ground on their new facility in 21 and play in 23. Uh, I'll make an on-air bet right now for $100 million that that won't happen. Okay. Um, Stan, you're going to back me on the $100 mil, right? Uh, well, Rubenstein. We'll get Rubenstein okay, involved. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk to David. Yeah. Um, anyway, they have uh, some governmental approvals, but they still don't own the land at the port. An environmental impact report and an area that is highly complex and highly polluted is supposed to come out in the next month or so. It was also supposed to come out in August and November and hasn't. That's not a good sign. The owner, John Fisher, has not talked about what the total price is. The A's less than brilliant gondola plan, they were going to build a gondola from downtown Oakland to the ballpark over a 10 lane uh, major which highway, highway. Which highway is that? Is that the 580? <laughs> no, it's the 880. 880. Uh, okay. 880. 10 lanes. Yeah, you're going to yeah. build a gondola over 10 <laughs> lanes. Um, they've sort of backtracked on that. And there are 50 companies that do business at the Port of Oakland. It's the fifth busiest port on the West Coast okay. that are not necessarily in favor of this, although one port commissioner said, I think we can work around this, but mm -hmm. he's new to the job. Mm -hmm. This is still filled with an incredible amount of complexity. I would never say it's absolutely impossible. Their timeline is, and I think in the next two or three months when the environmental impact report comes out and people start asking, okay, how much is this project going to cost? And are you, John Fisher, going to pay every penny? Because the A's have said from the get-go, right. this will be 100% privately financed. So the most exciting part about the A's is going to be the great team that they put on the field uh, this season. Wow. Uh, what would your get your best guesstimate, or you wouldn't even offer one until this environmental uh, study is finished? Is this a, a a billion billion two billion three to get this? You know, or are we looking at well over two billion? The A's have said, uh, but they haven't said it publicly in a year or two. But they said they would build their new stadium for six hundred million dollars. That's a complete pipe dream. That's, that's um, I'd say uh, you're looking at a billion dollars yeah. all in because you have exit and entrance ramps from this 880 complex. You have to 
uh, cross over two major rail lines right. that they haven't figured out. They have to fence you those have, rail. They have to fence And you those have a waterway yeah. at the Port of Oakland that, you know, you've got these gigantic container ships that are doing business there with all manner of stuff that they're transporting 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If this were to come to pass in this location, are you looking at like 2025, the first pitch? I would say it's much more that, uh, the middle of the decade. Yeah. Um, and, but the A's, you know, through President Dave Koppel, has have been you know absolutely entirely laser-focused on these dates. Um, but if you call the A's today, I don't think you can buy tickets <laughs> to the new stadium, no. which is... Also, a bit odd. Mm-hmm. The teams are usually selling seat licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm a marketer, which I think I am, I have a naming rights partner for this stadium already. If right. I'm breaking ground in a year or less, um, and that hasn't occurred, so to me, um, there are many, many words that are optimistically focused. Uh, and and the A's recently, as a few days ago, Dave Cobble said. Uh, shovels will go in the ground. Yep. And to me, I would change that a bit. It's all bull until you see bulldozers. Okay. Shovels ain't going to cut it. Uh, Andy Dolich, our guest. Andy, uh, from out in the left coast, you've seen the 49ers all season long. I'm sure you've watched a good bit of Kansas City Chief football. It's a point and a half Kansas City is favored by. Who does Andy Dolich like in this game? I always like the people that pay me, and I was three years as chief operating officer of the 49ers. I still have a lot of friends there. Yep. Um, defense, defense, defense. Uh, the 49ers have shown a terrific defense yeah. um, that they've built. Um, Fast. I'm going Fast with, I'm going, you know, I'm going with the Niners, but I just hope it is a fantastic game that goes down to the last minute. I'm picking San Francisco 36, Kansas City 30. I think Mahomes will put up points, but I don't see that Kansas City defense unless. Uh, As I said, my predictions are uh, red, but I think in this case it will be the 49ers getting Super Bowl number six. And uh, jumping back over to baseball, um, there's a new book coming out by Dale Tafoya called Billy Ball. You mm-hmm. probably remember that. I remember that. Billy Martin and the great ace teams that I was lucky enough to be a part of in the 80s. Uh, it's coming out in the spring. I got an advanced copy yesterday. I think it would be a great read for any baseball fan because it talks about one of baseball's greatest characters in, in Billy Martin. Can you, in depth that I, I didn't even know. Can you get me uh, the writer's uh, contact? You know, either... Uh, I will set up uh, okay. uh, an introduction for you All and right. Dale. Okay. He also wrote Bash Brothers a bunch of years ago. And the last commercial message, uh, I'm involved in a national podcast for any listeners who want to get into the world of sports who or have children that are college age or trying to figure out how can dopes like Dolish get into sports. I want my kids to have a career in sports. It's called Life in the Front Office. Okay. Uh, I do it with Pat Gallagher, longtime San Francisco sure. Giants executive, and the great Fred Clare, 
of the Dodgers. Love Fred, yeah. I'm sure you know Fred. Sure. And a young man named Jake Hirschman, whose name you will hear a lot about, works for the PGA Tour. Okay. You can go on your computer and see us. We're on a lot of different websites. Life in the front office. Life in the front office. All right. Life in the front office. Happy so, to plug, I'm happy to plug that anytime you come on or Pat or Fred uh, come on. I'm happy to do it. One question about the writer who wrote Billy Ball. What's his name again? Tafoya. Dale Tafoya. Tafoya. T-A-F-O-Y-A. Does he write any books that aren't uh, BB? Billy Ball, um, Bash Brothers. I don't want to absolutely <laughs> say that he does, but I'm aware of the ones on BB. All right. Hey, last last one quick question about the stadium again. So John yep. Fisher has said that he's going to pay for the stadium. Do you Correct. actually think he could pay for it and then his fans or at least the best seats in the house would be PSLs of a baseball stadium? Has that ever if been you, done? Has that oh ever yeah, been the done? Gi- the Giants actually. They they all call it something different. Okay. PSL sounds like some sort of disease that yeah. you need to see a doctor about. Yep. Um, and uh, the Giants did it. Other baseball teams have done it. Um, the A's, as I said, are still working through trying to define for the public and most importantly their baseball fans with a small you know attendance over the last few years. How is this place actually going to come about? Mm-hmm. How is it going to be financed? How are the 10 millions, hundreds of millions, or billions going to be paid for? And that is still highly questionable, and that's why, uh, you know, above my head, uh, I love the A's. I have an A's logo all over the place, but a question mark is the biggest logo on the Howard uh, Park. Right. Again, again, if you Google life in the front office, you'll find out a way to consume Andy Dolich, Fred Clare, and Pat Gallagher's podcast on how you can find a life in sports. Many thanks. And we have, I think we're up to 60 um, executives and people in the world of sports, so it's not just us yakking. It's people that uh, have done the business. I uh, I appreciate always being on with you guys, and uh, we'll see uh, what happens on Sunday. All right. Love you, Andy. I'll talk to you soon. See you, gentlemen. Bye. All right. All right. Uh, I have one last commercial to read here, and uh, look, you've known me for a long time around this town, and today I'm pitching you a very special restaurant. That's the Costas Inn, located 4100 North Point Boulevard. The Costas Inn is known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. But get a load of these nightly specials. Monday night, crab cake night. Tuesday night is rib night. Wednesday night is steak night, partnered with half bottle of wine night. Uh, Thursday night is lobster night. And by the way, you have to get the steak to partner with the half bottle of wine. They don't do it if you order a bo- uh, an order of pasta. you got to order the steak special on Wednesday night, and you get partnered half-price bottles of wine. Thursday night is lobster night. Friday night, Pete and Nick offer a variety of special dinners. So take it from me, stand the fan. When I say I know something special, and the Costas Inn is one hell of a special place. Remember, big goings on there tomorrow uh, for Super Bowl. If you want to call and see if you can get space to be there, 410-477-1975. The Costas Inn will be back to close things out after this.
If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to Army.com Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find out on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirts, which recognize how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Available in white and gray for just $25, the long-sleeve version just $29.99. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying. The latest edition of Pressbox is available now, and it's our very special Pressbox Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Dean honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square now offers their piping hot chicken noodle and chicken tortilla soup. Shredded chicken breast with navy and black beans in a white creamy soup base with a perfect blend of vegetables and spicy heat. Topped off with seasoned corn tortilla strips, obviously perfect for cold weather. Plus, it's a great complement to the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And if you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering, for not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A, 410-931-0031. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. We are back. We ran a little late on today's show, 12.09 our time, although I shouldn't give time on this show because it's a podcast uh, before we get out of here, Mr. Valley, who do you like in tomorrow's Super Bowl? You know, I got to be honest, I've been wrong with every single one of my postseason picks this year. So, Starting my, with the Raven, Tennessee. Yeah, game. right. So my gut is telling me that it's going to be the Chiefs, but I've seen that 49er defense shut down to great offenses, and I've seen them keep up with great offenses when they had to have a shootout with the Saints. So I'm going to go 49ers 27-24. All right. I think it's going to be a good football game. I just 
Don't I, if if Steve Spagnola has a, a night like uh, Dean Pease did against Baltimore, where he somehow has some way of taking something away from them, but I think they got a little too much in the way of weapons offensively, and I don't see Kansas City scoring quite enough points to to stem uh, what I think will be a 49er win. Their defense is awfully fast. Yeah, and I, the the defense is fast for the Niners, but the offense is fast for the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are determined to get Andy Reid that Super Bowl title, put them in that upper echelon of coaches, yep. but I think they're still just going to fall a little bit short. All right, that uh, wraps up our show today. Don't forget, uh, Monday, Glenn Clark will be back uh, 10 to noon all week long, and we'll be back same time next weekend. Uh, have a great Super Bowl Sunday, and we'll see you soon.